0: Alright, let's make our way back to Hebrews chapter 7. Prayer before we begin. Father, may you open up your Word to us this morning. Might your Spirit bring forth your truth, and the light of Christ might be known greater. And God, we would see Him as He is, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So we have turned a corner in Hebrews. And here's what I want to tell you. Buckle up. Hebrews chapter 7, eight, nine, and 10 is a unending well of Christ. Uh, as we look at these next four chapters, I want you to understand some terminology. What we're going to be looking at is what we would call Christology. Basically, it's the study of Christ. These four chapters are going to express and explain to you who Christ is, what He has done, what He is doing in a way that uh, should give you hope. Should give you encouragement. It is a section of scripture that is like none other. Now, here's a challenge I want to give to you. But I first want to give you an issue that we must know and overcome before I challenge you. We as a church in America are getting if not we have not already got there where we've become Christless Christ L E S S Christless which doesn't make a lot of sense because we call ourselves Christians which begins with the name of Christ but the church as we know it has become Christless we speak of God in a general sense we say then we say God but the odd thing about it is, is the name is saying God is a lot less offensive than saying Christ. It's a lot more vague and is a lot less um, in your face. Because when we say the name of Christ, we are saying more than just there's a God and a creator out there. But we're saying that there is a God and creator who is holy, who is just who calls you, demands you to live for His glory, to be obedient to His commands and His Word. And the reality is, is when we speak of Christ, we're acknowledging that we have fallen short of these things. And that we need a Savior. And so the name of Christ implies humility. It implies death. Blood. Blood. But it provides eternal life. Christ and His gospel. But not just our churches. Our homes have become Christless. Our hearts as individual Christians have become Christless. It's become very trendy to acknowledge Jesus one time in your life to secure your eternal home but I want you to understand that a life that is not for Christ has no home eternally with Christ true Christianity resembles these words to live is Christ Your life is hidden with Christ. And why is this? Because in Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1.7 Because you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh By his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is not a ticket to enter heaven. That is eternal life in Christ Jesus that not just saves from sin, but transforms a person into the likeness of Christ. Who loves Christ, lives for Christ. And longs for Christ. We cannot be Christless Christians. I want us to always say and remember. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So here's the challenge I want. As we take time over the next few weeks in these next four chapters, I want to challenge you to seek Christ with all your heart. I want you to be in prayer constantly as we do this asking for God's grace i'm not i what cuz what i don't want you to do is to go home and say oh i got to know i got to know i got to read i got to read i got to read you can you can go home and read and do all these things and take notes but apart from the grace and love of God revealing Christ to you we are nothing but pharisees Pray that you will see more of the sun in these next few weeks than you have ever seen. That you will see his beauty. That you will get a taste of his infinite worth and value. And then go put your boots on and go to work. Work on your knees. Work in your chair, work in the scriptures, open up the Bible, read, pray, take notes, ask questions, discuss, pray more, cry out to God, show me Christ. There, these ne- I want us to be diligent these next four or five weeks, however long it takes to seek the face of Christ. Because that's what these next four chapters are about. And if you... These next four chapters, we can liken it to a banquet feast. Okay? The table will be laid out. But let's all help in preparing that table. Week by week. Prepare Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday... To come to the feast on Sunday. Okay? That's the challenge I have for you. Let us join Paul in saying that we can count everything as lost. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not knowing that you're going to heaven. But that you know Christ himself. And not just know Him, but you know the power of His resurrection. Because you have been resurrected by the power of the Spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead. Let us strive together towards Christ Jesus. Okay, now, chapter 7 is a doozy. I um, have not been looking forward to this one. I'll be honest. Uh, there's a man in this chapter by the name of Melchizedek. And if you can pronounce his name right, you've got half the battle won already. Melchizedek. Um, what we're seeing in chapter 7 and also we'll see in chapter 8 and 9 and 10 is a common theme of priesthood. Priesthood. Now, God wrote the Bible. He was very wise in how he wrote the Bible. Okay. That's pretty obvious. The way he wrote the Bible is he intertwined themes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's called biblical theology, a biblical understanding of the study of God. So he creates and has themes that start in the beginning and run all the way through. And the one that we're looking at over the next four chapters is the theme of priest or priesthood. Now, I'll just go out and I'll tell you this now. This sermon and the remainder are not going to be like anything that we've done the last 6 weeks. The work you ha- you will have to work as you listen to me. I can there's no way around it. You're not this isn't going to be sermons where you just hear the things that I'm saying. You will have to listen and hold on and be like, oh, wait, what? And if we want to, we can discuss questions that we have in the evenings. I have no problem with that. But these will not just be, I'm up here. You'll have to really work to hang on and pay attention. So this theme of priesthood that runs throughout all of Scripture becomes – we've already heard about it a lot in Hebrews. It's a theme in Hebrews, but it gets very in-your-face, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. So here's – I'll just quickly uh, give you the thread of priest throughout the Scripture. But before that, let's define it, and let's use the writer of Hebrews' words in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. What is a priest? So the beginning of our time this morning will be a little bit of a Bible study, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews defines what a priest is for us, specifically a high priest, the top priest, okay? For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act, here it is, on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices sacrifices for sins. Simply. That's how we're going to think of a priest. A man acting on behalf of men in relation to God. Okay? Now, you could call Adam a priest. Right? That You could really make the argument that Adam was the first priest he was the representative of man that interacted with God. And even after Adam, we could say Noah was a type of a priest. But then the the theme of priesthood really explodes in Exodus. So let's go to Exodus for a minute. Look at go to chapter 19. The the theme of priesthood just explodes in exodus and 19 get really the first taste of it and we could say and it's very moses while we don't call him a priest he was a priest and we'll see why moses was a priest in chapter 19 start at verse 16 just read a few verses here and see if you can Connect that definition of priest to what Moses is doing here. So they've escaped Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. God is... um, Well, you'll see. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on a mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Not because it was a, a stormy day, but because God was on the mountain. Okay? So that all the people in the camp... Trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kennel, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Who didn't go up? The rest of the people. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. So, not only does God call Moses only, He goes and says, Go back and tell the people that they better not wander up to this mountain Or their life will end. Now, here's what we have to understand. Because of the nature of God and the nature of man, man needs a priest. Man needs someone to act on his behalf. And we see this with Moses. Now, as we go through Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10... We're going to make that transition. That that priest ultimately ends up being Jesus. Okay, that that priest that all men need is Jesus. All right. So now flip over to 28, chapter 28 in Exodus. I'm telling you, we're just going to do some Bible. We're just going to we got to pick up some pieces here before we. Really dive into chapter seven of Hebrews, Exodus 28, just one verse. So God's given Moses the law, but this is also what God told Moses, verse 20 or chapter 28, verse one in Exodus. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. So a, a high priest is one chosen by God from the people, right? to serve me as priest Aaron and Aaron's son Nadab and Abihu Eleazar and Ithamar So right there God establishes officially the first high priest in scripture from Israel okay Now let's turn to Leviticus next next book in the Bible verse 16 What's the priest going to do? What's Aaron and his sons going to do? Now before I read that, I want you to understand something. When Aaron dies, one of his sons become high priest. When that one dies, guess who's going to become high priest? Another one in Aaron's line. And, And then guess what? Another and another. God appointed the Levites, which is the tribe that Aaron came from, they were the only ones that could be high priest. Got it? Now, what are they going to do? Chapter 16, verse 1 of Leviticus. Three verses here. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Just FYI. They went to go do their job the way they wanted to, not the way God told them to. And you know what happened? They died. When they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Alright, let me give you some help help here. Inside the veil. God told Israel to build a tent. Okay? And this tent is where God was going to dwell. And in the middle of the tent was a room behind a veil. And they called it the Holy of Holies. Because the very presence of God sat. Look what he says Inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, the ark of the covenant which held the ten commandments so that he may not die for I, God, will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering so No one could just walk in willy-nilly into this place. But God gave specific instructions to Aaron and his sons and all who would come after that they must enter into this place once a year to offer sacrifice, not just for themselves, but for the nation of Israel for the forgiveness of sins. Once a year they were allowed into this place in the tabernacle. Okay? Now, sacrifices were made once a year. Okay, I said that. Now... One last thing Leviticus 21. Verse, start, we'll read verse 1 and then verse 6. Now, could Aaron and his sons live any way they want? No. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people. Verse 6, to the priests, to Aaron's sons, to the Levites, they shall be holy to their God. Holy means separated, consecrated for God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall be holy. Now, if you want to go and study some more about the Levitical priesthood, here's some some chapters you can go and and read this week. Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 17 and 18. Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 17 and 18. And 18. So, God's established this, what you'll hear me say, and what you're going to see in Hebrews 7, as a Levitical priesthood. Meaning, the tribe of Levi, which is where Aaron comes from, and Aaron and his sons. Okay? That's the Levitical priesthood. Now, we're going to backtrack to Genesis. Because, in Genesis 14, before any official priesthood was named... There was a priest. In Genesis 14. If I go to Genesis 14 and I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. So just to set it up, a bunch of mean kings have come together and they're going to attack Sodom. They're going to attack this city. They're going to try to overtake it. They do a good job and they kidnap Abraham's nephew Lot, alright? That's where we are in verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Marn and Amorite, brother of Eskel and of Ner. These were allies of Abraham or Abram. Verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsman, Lot, had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, the nor- uh, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions. So he brought back the spoil of his victory all, and brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Alright, so here's where it really gets into what we're trying to see here. Verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Shadalemur and the kings who were with him the king of Sodom went out to meet him Moses at the valley of Sheba that is the king's valley verse 18 and Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine now he has not been spoken of in this chapter to this point look what, look what the bible says then he was priest of God most high The first true mention of a priest in Scripture. And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham, after all of this, wasn't a poor man he had quite a large spoil and wealth and gave him a tenth of everything Okay, now one last place Psalm 110 don't worry we're going to book it after this Psalm 110, verse 4. Now, keep in mind, okay, there's this King Melchizedek we don't know anything about. What you just read is what we know about Melchizedek. Okay, up to this point. But then you also know that God has created, established the Levitical priesthood and that every priest from now on after that is supposed to come from the line of Aaron okay psalm 110 verse 4 now if you notice it says the Lord capital L capital O capital R no let's start at verse 1 I'm sorry capital L capital O capital R capital D that's Yahweh okay that's Yahweh the living God The Lord says to my Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Well, because of Jesus' words, we know without a shadow of a doubt that verse 1, or this whole psalm, is talking about the Messiah, the Christ that is to come. Because Jesus asked the Pharisees, who was David talking about when he said, the Lord said to my Lord? Basically, that wasn't how the conversation went, but that was the point. Yahweh, the Father, said to the Son. Okay? This is talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Now look down at verse 4. The Lord, Yahweh, has sworn. Now, since Matthew chapter, what is it, five on the or six where we talked about we're not to swear, not to take an oath. Anytime somebody in my house says, well, I swear, Layla goes, well, dad preached a sermon and says, you're not supposed to swear. Well, the Lord, Yahweh, swears. And nobody is going to say, you're not supposed to do that. He's giving his word and his word is binding for eternity okay the lord has sworn and will not change his mind who now who's this about it's about the messiah you are a priest forever after the order of melchizedek hang on a sec david I thought this was a Levitical priesthood. I thought we had to come from Aaron. I thought all priests came from Aaron. Well, David, by the Spirit of God, declares the word of God that the Messiah will not come from Aaron. But that he will come. When you see after the order, you could say like. So you could say you are a priest forever Like Melchizedek. Now you're thinking, well, what are you talking about? Let's get to Hebrews chapter 7. Now 5, chapter 5. Because we see this, we see the writer of Hebrews quote Psalm 110 in chapter 5. So chapter 5, we got the definition of what a high priest is. And we also start to see... The explanation that Jesus is similar to Aaron. But there's a big difference. Verse 5 of chapter 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Chapter six, or Verse 6. As he says, also in another place, which I just told you is Psalm 110 verse 4. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And here's the problem. He then goes in verse 11, he goes, "Um, this is actually kind of a difficult subject. He says this in verse 11. He says, it's hard to explain. And he says, you've kind of become dull of hearing. So here's the thing. I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to be sitting here listening to me drone on about Melchizedek. I mean, like, this is too difficult for me to understand. I don't get it, so I'm just not going to listen. He then goes on to say... If you're on that path to be dull of hearing, it probably isn't going to turn out well for you. To go down a path of not desiring to know about who Christ is, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, it's just too much. I don't want to hear it. Just, whatever. That's a dangerous place to be. You go back and read the rest of Hebrews 6. And you will see it's not a place you want to go. Not a place you want to stay. But he does. He's like, you know what? We're going to talk about it anyway because you need to hear it. Now, chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to read through it, and I've got comments in a few verses to get through verses 1 through 20. And then I have four quick things at the end of verses 22 through 28. So let's read through chapter 7, verse 1. Now we know who all the people are. Here we go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We know that because we read uh, Genesis 14. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Again, we know that. He is first by translation of his name king of righteousness now we did not know that unless you knew hebrew his name translates in hebrew king of righteousness now to me that just makes you sit back and say god you are so good you are so good that this guy that we're talking about that his name it didn't mean like son of the person under the tree, I don't whatever. But he brought this person that is this priest and his name translated King of Righteousness because you know who is the King of Righteousness? Jesus. Do you know who Jesus is after the order of? The King of Righteousness. Now, that might have been confusing, and it is, but we're going to talk about it some more. Okay, so by fir- er, he is first by translation of his name, the King of Righteousness. But And then he is also the king of Salem. And did you know the people, who you li- the people that live in Salem? We have a Salem right down here. It means peace. Did y'all know that? You live in the town of peace. We're, we're working on it, right? We're working on it. It's so, okay. Sorry. So he's king of righteousness by his translation of his name. But he's king of Salem. He's king of peace. It's pretty interesting. Verse 3. Alright, this is where it gets a little weird. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Yeah, okay. we got to stop for a second. You could get really lost in the sauce, in the weeds, thinking about my... Like, I see your face. You're like, what? He has no father, mother, no end? Like, what are we talking about? Here's what I want you to understand. We are given Melchizedek because we want to know more about Jesus. Okay, just keep that in mind as you're, you're hearing things that just don't make sense. You know, like, you and then you know you see the kind of the people that get lost in it and they're trying to connect all these dots and figure all this out and they miss the point. The point is Jesus, not Melchizedek. Okay, Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, the point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than all of them. Aaron, Melchizedek, angels, prophets, he's better than all of them. So don't get lost in the weeds of trying to figure out who Melchizedek really is. Because if God really wanted us to know, he would have said he's blah, blah, blah. But he didn't. But there are things about Melchizedek that help you understand Jesus. Here's a translation that I think is helpful with that last verse, okay? Instead of without father, mother, genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life, listen to this. His father and mother are unknown, and there is no record of his birth or his death. Is that helpful? We don't know who his parents are, and there's no genealogy in Scripture that help us to understand where he's from. It doesn't say when he was born, and it doesn't say when he died. That's what we have to know, okay? But, well, hang on to that. Having been made to resemble the Son of God. Here's where I kind of have to step back. remains a priest forever. So there's the mystery, okay? There's the mystery. He remains a priest forever. So I can't explain it anymore. We're going to move on, okay? Next verse. Verse 4, still talking to Melchizedek. See how great this man was. So it is very important to understand that he is not a normal man. This Melchizedek is a great man. And he explains to us how great he is. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, meaning top dog, right? Top dog of Israel. The patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, that would be Aaron's family, right? Who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, Those, though they also are descendants from Abraham. What is he saying? He's saying that the Levites, they didn't farm, they didn't herd cattle, they didn't have a, a, a job to make money. Their income, their funding for their service to God in the tabernacle, in the temple, their way of life, their way, their food, all came from the tithe of the people of Israel. And so when I say tithe, I mean, say, uh, Joseph had a field of wheat, right? Every time he harvested that field of wheat, he set aside a tenth of it, And he gave it to the Levitical priesthood. That was their payment for being a priest. Not just a payment, but it was the way that they lived. Okay, So a tenth came from all of Israel to the Levitical priesthood. But Abraham is given a tenth to Melchizedek. So this is what he's exploring right now. Uh, Verse uh, 6. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descendant from them, that would be from Abraham, Aaron, all of them, he received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Abraham had the promises of God, right? Verse 7, it is beyond dispute, meaning you can't argue with me here, that the inferior, the lesser, is blessed by the superior. Well, who blessed who? Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so by the writer of Hebrews is saying, Melchizedek is better than Abraham. And I just want to remind you, Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Okay? Alright. Verse 8. In the one case of the Levit- levitical priesthood in the one case tithes are received by mortal men what does mortal mean it means they're going to die right they don't live forever in the one case tithes are received by mortal men so if you're a priest and you're going to die guess what you're not going to be priest anymore and then someone else is going to take your spot okay okay so their priesthood is temporary. But in the other case, the case of Melchizedek, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Again, we're getting into the weird part of it. He lives. It just says he lives. What's the what's the assumption? Continuous. Forever. No beginning of no beginning of days or end of days. Melchizedek's priesthood continues forever verse 9 one might even say and just to hammer the point home he says one might even say that Levi the tribe that Aaron comes from who receives the tithes actually paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him that is just to hammer home the point Now verse 11. Very important verse here. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order or the likeness of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron. So, turn back to chapter 4. Five, and we get there. Look up at me. So, time is passing on. The priesthood is continuing on. Aaron's son, after Aaron's son, after Aaron's son. All these Levites are the priests, and we're just going to keep going. But then, at some point, God says, "No more from this line. No more." And He says because it it's not perfect it's not getting the job done now when you think about a priest you also have to think about the law that makes him a priest now this is where it kind of gets a little wordy here's just what I want you to understand if you're going to change the priesthood if you're going to switch from Aaron to something else there's going to have to be a change in the law and that, sh- I'm hoping that should point, pick some antennas up like we don't change the law of God right good please think that I'm going to show you why this is what it is. So, we're going through time. The perfection cannot happen through these sinners, these, these sons of Aaron. So we're going to change the priest and we're going to change the law to some degree. Right? Obviously, it's not working or they wouldn't change it. If it worked, there wouldn't be a need of a change. Verse 12. For when there's a change in the priesthood... There is necessarily a change in the law as well. Hang on to that, and we'll come back to that. Verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. For no one has ever served at the altar. The only people to ever serve at the altar of God has been a son of Aaron. But things are changing. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord, he didn't descend from Levi. He descended from the tribe of Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Verse 15. It became more evident when another priest arrives after arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest. Here, here look at here. Not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. Who did you have to be to be a priest? A Levite, son of Aaron. But this new priest comes in the likeness of Melchizedek by the power of an indestructible life. And I know y'all's heads are spinning right now. Just hang tight, okay? The new priest is not named because he is a son of Aaron. He is a Levite. But by the power of an indestructible, never ending life verse 17 for it is witnessed of him now these are the if your bible if you got a king james you probably you might not be able to see this when it says for the it is witnessed of him you're about to have a quote of psalm 110 the words of god are going to be spoken you are a priest forever After the order of Melchizedek, you are a priest forever. After the likeness of Melchizedek, verse 18: For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Now, okay, you want to stand before God, you have to be perfect. You want to see eternal life? You have to be perfect. Let me tell you. Aaron and his family and their law that appointed them could not do it for you. It had to stop. A new priest had to be named and a new law given. Now, you're like, I keep talking about this new law. What What are you saying? Look at Romans 8. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Perfect or not. For those who are in Christ Jesus no longer are condemned. For the law, the law. Remember I said a change in the law? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus From the law of sin and death. Those who are in Christ are freed from the demand and curse of the law. Now, we can have a conversation and we should have a conversation, and we have, that that does not give you the right to throw away the law of God. Maybe we can talk about that tonight. The point being is that you have been set free from the law actually to keep the law by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ this is the new law who find themselves represented by the new priest Jesus. all right you're like okay big deal what's go back to Hebrews what's the benefits of this new priest and this new law? Verse uh, nineteen, what chapter seven. Mm-hmm. For the law made nothing perfect. Okay, the the law of sin and death. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. I started by saying, every man needs a priest to get to God. To draw near to God, you need a priest. And that priest is after the likeness of Melchizedek. And it is Jesus the Messiah. And in that is a better hope. Meaning, a surety that you can draw near to God through Jesus Christ our great high priest. Now, okay. I want to just jump down to verse 22. And I've got four things to see from 22 to the end of the chapter. And I'm going to rapid fire them at you here. Number one, Jesus guarantees this new covenant, this new law. Because he is the guarantee. This thing that's happening, this change that's that's taking place, that's trying to be described here. It is guaranteed by Jesus because he guaranteed it with his blood. Last Sunday when we took the Lord's Supper and we read Luke 22, do you know what we said? This is the body which is given for you. But we also said this is the new covenant in my blood. God made a promise to all who would believe in Jesus, and he will never break that promise, and it was sealed by the blood of his son. This is the new covenant in my blood. So, verse 20, 22 this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, you're like, what are you talking about covenant? We're actually going to get to that probably next week. Second thing, Jesus is your high priest forever. This is why Christianity doesn't make sense if you say, I believe in Jesus, and so I'm saved, but I don't live my life ever even thinking or considering or seeking him. Because for those who are in Christ, what you have to understand is Jesus is working on your behalf forever. Forever. Look what it says, verse 23. So the former priests, the the sons of Aaron, the Levites, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office, in their work. If you're like, oh, I really liked Nahab, he was a great priest for me. Well, guess what? He died. So if if Nahab was your priest that was going to get you to God, when he died, your chances were over. You're like, okay, well, I'll try Nahab's son. Well, guess what happened to him? He died too. Verse 24. Talking about Jesus. But he holds his priesthood. How long? Permanently. Forever. Because he continues forever. How can he continue forever? Because he is the resurrected son of God. Christ stands... In for you and will always stand in for you, Christian. He is your high priest appointed from among you, appointed as a man. But he is Jesus, the God man raised from the dead, our great high priest. Number three, he will not fail you as high priest. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Your salvation is not conditional on you being able to keep it. I'm going to repeat that. Your salvation is not conditional on you being able to keep it. If you have conversations with people who say, well, if you fall in this sin, you're not going to be, you're not going to be saved anymore. Well, you could say to them, if it was up to me, I would lose my salvation every day. You are kept at the throne of grace. You are kept in the holy of holies, the presence of God, not by your effort, not by your knowledge, but by the work of your great high priest who lives. He lives to make intercession for you, to intercede on your behalf. He is your head. Praise be to God. It is not conditional on us, but it is on the condition of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who lives forever. Number four, he is high priest and the sacrifice. Again, this is just an introduction into what we're going to look at in chapter 9, so I won't spend much time on it. The high priest, the, the Aaron's, the Levite's. Would come into the Holy of Holies with the blood of bulls and goats, not just for the sins of Israel, but for their own sins. However, Jesus, the new great high priest, he is the spotless lamb. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And he offers not the blood of bulls and goats, but he offers his own blood for the forgiveness of sin. And that seals not just your forgiveness but your covenant with God that you would break. You would break the covenant with God. But it is sealed by the blood of Jesus. And God fulfills the covenant. When we are unfaithful, He is faithful. He is not just the priest, but even the sacrifice. Again, we'll cover that in verse 9. Now, last thing. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. There's so much we could talk about and we just can't do it. I'm already way over. Last thing. Do y'all remember in chapter 6 we talked about an anchor of our soul? Verse 8, chapter 1, describes it. Now the point and what we are saying is this. All that to say this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Of the majesty in heaven. I want you to chew on that all week. If anything you think about all week is that one verse, one verse that Christ Jesus, a priest forever, one who lives, one who is spotless, one who is exalted among all people. In the heavenly places. He is your high priest. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Feast on that this week please. Meditate on it. Seek him all week. And so I ask you. As I finish. When it says we have such a high priest. Can you include yourself in that we Or do you say, "Ah, this doesn't really do anything for me." Like, what's the big deal? Like and we you might not want to admit that out loud, but I need you to question that in your heart. Does this mean anything to you? Does you, do you care about this throne of majesty in heaven? you care about the holy of holies where the presence of God is, where the anchor of your soul can hold you forever and basically the point is is do you care about God that's it because if you don't care about God then the high priest is vain it's useless because his job is to bring you to God I might have asked this before but it's worth repeating if you could be in heaven and God not be there would you be okay with it is that your only goal in Christianity is to make sure you're not in hell I hope not because heaven without God is hell Please, please search your heart. And if this is something that is troubling you, like I, this doesn't really do anything for me, Luke, then come talk to me afterwards. Let's have a discussion about it. Let's pray about it. Let's search the scriptures. I'm not asking you to walk forward. I'm not asking you to throw your hands up. I'm not asking you to pray a prayer. I'm asking you to search your heart. And maybe even in your seat, repent of your sins and cry out for mercy to the great God that's in the heaven upon his throne. And be gracious or grateful that you have been brought near by this great high priest. Let's pray. Father, might you reveal to us that which is within us. Be gracious to us. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.